came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound uh, Isaac his son, and laid him upon the altar, uh, on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took.
is like the word grace. It's hard to define grace. Uh, I've heard many different definitions of grace and all of them were good. But it's hard to find one definition that really nails the word grace. Worship is that way. It's hard to find a word that really nails what worship really is. It's kind of like it's kind of like going out to your flower garden if you have one. It's kind of like going out there and smelling a flower, smelling a rose. Uh, it's a lot easier to experience that than it is to explain it. In other words, if you went out there and smelt the fragrance of that rose uh, and the smell of that rose, uh, uh, you know you know how it smelled, you know how wonderful it was. Uh, but if somebody began to ask you to explain how it smelled, you wouldn't probably be able to have a hard time expressing uh, really what that is. Uh, it's like the taste of a fresh baked pie. You know, it's easier to experience that than it is to explain how good it is. I mean, we struggle to explain it. We say, mmm, that's good. Or we say, that's the best pie I ever eat. That's wonderful. But, Really, we can't express what we have experienced by tasting that delicious pie. And so I want to give you some, some definitions tonight about what worship and what it really is. First of all, somebody said uh, that worship is the outflow uh, of a grateful heart spontaneous. 
And what that means tonight, it means uh, that it is the overflowing, uh, the bubbling up of you will, a spontaneous thing between you and God. The psalmist said in Psalm 45 and verse 1, he said, my heart is in, my heart is in denying a good matter concerning the king. He said, I speak concerning the king, he said. And when he says that, he talks about what he's meeting there is his heart is overflowing. His heart is bubbling up and, and he's thinking about the king. He's thinking about God uh, and these thoughts have stirred his heart. The psalmist said the same thing in Psalm 23 and verse 5. The psalmist said, my cup runneth over. Yeah. Have you ever had your cup to run over? Uh, you see, uh, we had a little bit of demonstration of that today. Uh, Sister Diane done a spontaneous thing this morning. She stood up and then she spontaneously uh, began to praise the Lord and her words were something like this, I, I think I'm going to bust or I'm about to spill over. Uh, well, you see what that is, that's a spontaneous thing. Uh, uh, she didn't plan on doing that, it just happened all at once uh, and it just overflowed. Sister Mary singing there a minute ago and she began to think about the cross and the Christ of the cross and and I had my eyes closed but I think I heard a little shout come out and uh, what that was, that was a overflowing, a bubbling up, uh, a bubbling up, something that was spontaneous, you didn't plan to do it. Have you ever been in a service and maybe the song's being sung, the preacher's preached or maybe it's a testimony or maybe you just see Somebody come in, I don't know what it might be, but all at once you wouldn't expecting it, you wasn't planning on it, but all at once the tears begin to fill up in your eyes. Uh, I call that, Brother Eddie, I call those Holy Ghost tears. Uh, you see, Holy Ghost tears are different from human tears. Uh, human tears are caused mostly by sadness uh, or sorrow, something going wrong in our life. Uh, uh, and they, they usually, it's a, it works up, uh, uh, something's happened, and you worked up to the sadness and the sorrow. But when we talk about worship, I've had it happen to me many times, uh, uh, just sitting there, maybe in an hour and a half long service, but for one minute, for one minute, uh, uh, my heart bubbled up, my spirit overflowed. Uh, uh, the tears begin to course down my face. Uh, and I believe that that is a good uh, definition of what worship is. Uh, it's something you don't really plan, but God and you make a connection. Uh, I call it an eternal connection. Amen. Uh, uh, you don't have it uh, the whole service. I've been in only a few where it seemed to be the whole service, but most of the time it's just a short thing, just a it's the moment of, of just bubbling up and expressing the joy of the Lord. Leonard Ravenhill said this in one of his books. I've read them all, but I can't remember which one he said it in. And I thought he was the author of this uh, until I was reading another book. But Leonard Ravenhill said this. Uh, he said, prayer uh, is preoccupation with our needs. Uh, when we're praying to God, we're coming before God, uh, we're telling God what our needs are. I try to myself, I try to discipline myself to spend some time in thanking God uh, uh, for things before I go into asking God for things. Uh, 
Uh, but many times, Brother Eddie, my need overruns my thanks and many times I find myself before the throne uh, and I'm asking God for things before I've ever even thanked Him for the things that I've already got. But prayer is our preoccupation uh, with our needs. That's why we're before God. We're telling God our needs. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible said uh, John R. Rice wrote a great book called uh, uh, Prayer uh, Asking and Receiving. I think it was something like that. But it's all about prayer. And in that book he says that prayer is asking God for things. And I think that would be a correct definition of prayer. Uh, uh, it's to ask God for things. Uh, and I certainly don't want to make you feel like you shouldn't do that. Uh, uh, the Bible said men ought always to pray and not to faint. I, I can't imagine a day going by that a person wouldn't have a need that they didn't need to pray and ask God to help them with. I can't imagine a day like that. And so he said prayer is preoccupation with our needs. Uh, and praise uh, is preoccupation with our blessings. Uh, we got our prayer answered, our needs were met, uh, and now we're praising God, we're standing up in service, and we're thanking God uh, uh, because uh, we got our stimulus check. Uh, uh, we're thanking God because something good happened. We got a good report at the doctor, and we've been praying about that. Uh, uh, we're thanking God, uh, and that's what praise is. It's preoccupation with our blessings. But listen, Here's what worship is. Worship is preoccupation with God. Not our blessings, not our praise, but a preoccupation with God Himself. Uh, we, we see this in the Bible in uh, 2 Samuel 7. You can read verse 18 through verse 22. But it says there, He said, Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee according to all as we have heard with our ears. Now, David said that. David, uh, Nathan has been in and he asked David about uh, building him a house. And David uh, wanted to build him a house. Nathan said, go ahead and do it. But God spoke to Nathan that night and said, David can't do it. Uh, I don't want him to do it because he's a bloody man. But I'll let his son do it. And so Nathan tells David all of that. And after that, the Bible said Nathan, or David went in his house and he was sitting there and he's meditating on God. And in the verse 22, he said, Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God. In other words, he's thinking about God. He's thinking about how great that God is. And in doing that, David is worshiping God. He said, There's none like thee according to all we have heard with our ears. Worship is preoccupation with who God is uh, and what God is and what God can do and the power that God has and the wisdom that God has. Uh, and so he said, that's what worship is. Thirdly, it's the recognition of the Father as sovereign, the Son as Savior, and the Spirit as a special gift. In other words, uh, it's a recognition of who God is. Uh, first of all, he says, we think about God. I quote it this morning, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, and so God is a God of love. Uh, uh, God is a God that so loved the world. Uh, uh, God is a sovereign God tonight and 
And when we begin to realize the sovereignty of God, uh, we don't worry as much about the leadership of men. Uh, I think we ought to pray right, vote right, live right, do right. But if we pray right and we still vote right and we get the wrong person in there, we can't really get the wrong person. Because the Bible said God's sovereign, God's in control. It might not make any sense to me or you, but God knows what He's doing. He has a perfect plan, amen? And so God is a sovereign God. Not only is God a sovereign God, but His Son is our Savior, amen? The Bible said in Romans 5, when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man some would die, peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die, but God commendeth his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore being much more now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath to come. That's saying that Christ died for us. Amen. And then the Bible says that Jesus said, I'm going away. And he said, if I go away, he said, he said I'll come again. But he said, before I come again, he said, it's expedient that I go away, because if I go not away, the comforter will not come. And he said, if I go away, the comforter will come. When he's come, he'll prove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come, so forth and so on. But God said, Jesus said, when I go away, I'm going to send the Spirit back. Amen. We know that happened at Pentecost. We know the Spirit came at Pentecost. Amen. Acts 2.38 talks about the gift of the Holy Ghost, the gift of the Spirit of God. And so when we, you and I begin to think about uh, the goodness of God, we begin to think about our sovereign God. We begin to meditate and think about our Savior. We begin to think about the Holy Ghost of God and we don't grieve Him. And we begin to get preoccupied with God. We might, we might, we might find ourselves worshiping a little bit. Amen. You see, so many times we come into the worship service and we're preoccupied with what's going on out there. We're preoccupied with what's going on in our own life. Uh, Brent uh, said that Wednesday night, and it's very correct, he said, how many people has been in church tonight that haven't thought about COVID-19? And uh, that's very true. You see, as long as we are preoccupied with what's going on, the presidential election, uh, what's going on, COVID-19, uh, what's going on, uh, China, and what they're doing, as long as we come into the worship service preoccupied with the things that's going on out there in the world, we will not worship God. We will not worship God. And so, it's a recognition. Now, who do you think would recognize the Father as a sovereign and recognize the Son as a Savior and recognize the Holy Ghost of God as a gift? A lost person wouldn't do that. The only person that's going to do that is a person that has experienced the salvation and the grace of God and they realize that that's what God is in their life. God is a lot bigger tonight than what we think He is. 
I think it was Oral Roberts that said he had a dream and he saw a 700 foot Jesus. And somebody said he's a lot bigger than that. Amen. And I believe that tonight. Amen. We need to realize that we have a big God, a great God, a powerful God, a wise God. And when we get our minds set upon Him and we realize there's nothing in our life that that God doesn't allow to come into our life. There's nothing in our life that that God's not able to get us through and to help us through. And when we begin to meditate on that, we might begin to worship God a little bit. Amen. Let's look here, and this, this is interesting. This first place worship's mentioned. And in verses 1 through verse 14, it is amazing in the first place that we find the word worship. We do not find any of the things that we think we must have to worship. We don't find we know we know that Abraham worshiped. He tells us there, I'm going up there to worship. And we know that when he went up there to worship, we know that Abraham did worship God. We'll get to that in a little bit. But all the things we think that we have to have to worship God, none of them's here. I don't have time to go through everything, but I will say this. I, there's no sermon here. There's no sermon. We think going to church and hearing sermons is worship. Hearing sermons is good. It's for our instruction. God told us to, God sent preachers to preach and teachers to teach. But hearing sermons is not worship. You could hear a thousand sermons and never worship God. There's no sermon there. This is going to blow your mind. There's no song there. Nobody's singing. They don't have a gospel group in. They don't have a bus parked out down at the bottom of the mountain. There's no singing. No singing. Did you know that you can worship God without a sermon? You can worship God without a song? Now don't get me wrong. The Bible said that God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. God has ordained uh, uh, Bible preaching. God has ordained that. God has ordained the preaching of the cross. Uh, and don't get me wrong, the Bible said, the psalmist said, He had lifted me up out of the miry clay. He has put a song in my heart. Uh, uh, even praise unto our God. Uh, uh, we, ought to have, we ought to hear sermons. We ought to have a song. Uh, but did you know you can sing and not worship God? <laughs> Amen. I've been watching people do it for 40 years. Some people don't, they don't sing. They just, they don't want even open a songbook. Other people open a songbook and they sing. But while they're singing, their mind's out yonder somewhere. You see, when you really get to worshiping singing a song, when you, when you sang that song she sung, The Old Rugged Cross, when you forget about what's out there, when you forget about what's awaiting you this week and the Holy Ghost of God somehow takes you again to Calvary's Hill and you're standing there while she's singing, you're standing there and you're seeing Jesus nailed upon a cross. You're seeing the one that loved you enough to die for you and you're standing there and all at once the Holy Ghost transfers you to Calvary and you're there. You might worship a little bit. 
You might worship a little bit, but you know you can sing about the cross and think about the factory and you ain't going to worship none. And we, God, God wants worship and you and I so desperately need worship. Did you know what? There's no special music. They don't even have one of them. There's not even a harp. There's not a guitar within 10 miles. They have no music. But the Bible said he worshiped God. And you know, Baptists are the world's worst. I like the piano. Thank God we got a good piano. Thank God we got piano players. Uh, thank God we got musicians. I like them all. The more the better. I wish we had fiddles and banjos and and uh, every basses and everything else. I, I wish we had it all. But you know, some Baptists, they're so tied into the music that if they hear there ain't going to be no piano player there, if they hear they ain't going to have no music there, they think they can't worship. Amen. Abraham went up on the mountain and he did not have any of that. But the Bible said Abraham worshiped God. He worshiped God. We think about the deletions of worship. What was it there? What was it there? There was no famous evangelist. There was no uh, fiery sermon. There was, uh, there was no uh, top ten song sung. Just Abraham, Isaac, and God. Amen. Amen. In other words, the Father, the Son, and God. Amen. And the Bible said Abraham worshiped God. Now stay with me. Now we know what's not there. We know what's not there in these verses that the Bible tells us. But we also know there's some things that if Abraham worshiped, there's some things that had to be there for Abraham to worship. There, we know spirit and truth. We've already, we've already figured that out. But I want you to watch this here in this chapter and what worship demands. I might say what worship demands. While there's some things that we can delete and still worship, there's some things that worship demands. Demands. You don't even have to have a big crowd. We think if we ain't got 50 or 100 people, we can't worship. Jesus said we're two or three are gathered together. I'll be in the midst. I've been there before, and he was. Matter of fact, I'm glad that verse is in the Bible because that's where most of my ministry has been spent, where two or three are gathered together. But I'm glad the Lord's there. Amen. Amen. And I've been in some crowds of a, I guess the biggest crowd I was ever in was probably down in Dallas. There's probably a thousand people there. And you know what? Uh, I didn't feel God anymore with a thousand people than I did with three people. Some of the best services ever been in my life was a handful of people. Why? Because they wanted to worship God. Amen. They wanted to worship God. And so worship demands some things. First of all, worship demands that God give us a revelation. A revelation. You see the Bible said here in verse 3, the Bible said that God said, uh, told Abraham, I want you to take your son, verse 2, and I want you to offer him up on Moriah. And Abraham rose up early in the morning. What happened? God gave Abraham a revelation of what God wanted him to do. Yeah. Did you know if God doesn't give us a revelation, we can't get a revelation. 
Did you know that when it comes to worship, God has to do something in our heart. God has to do something in our spirit, if you will. And if God don't do that, we can't even worship a man. Uh, you see, we've come to the place where we think we can have church without God. We can preach without God. We can sing without God. Uh, we can have Sunday school without God. We can have camp meet without God. We can have revival without God. And you can... But Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. But what did he mean about that? Well, I know some men that don't have Jesus, and they've done a lot of things. They built ministries and started colleges, and, and they've done a lot of things. And according to their belief, they don't even have Jesus. You can do a lot of things without Jesus. You can go to college and get you an education. You can learn how to, you can learn how to motivate people. Uh, you can get somebody that knows how to build a building and to do a structure. You can get somebody that knows how to raise money. You can do all that without God. They said, I think it was a missionary come to the United States one time. And as he went back home, they asked him, they said, What impressed you the most about American churches? And his answer was, How much they can do without God. How much they can do without God. But you see, I think what Jesus was saying is uh, that you cannot do anything, anything eternal and lasting without Jesus, without God. Amen. You can do something last for a little while. But if the Lord does it, the Bible says, whatsoever the Lord doeth, He doeth forever. Amen. So that's the difference in having the Lord. You've got to have a revelation. God's got to God's got to speak to your spirit. God's got to show you something. It's hard for God, not impossible. Nothing impossible with God. But it's hard for God to give you a revelation if you don't know your Bible. And if you don't ever read your Bible, uh, it makes it hard for God to give you a revelation. The Bible said that God spoke to Abraham. He showed Abraham what he wanted Abraham to do. He got a revelation from God. You see, God's told us what He wants us to do. Worship God in spirit and in truth. And then we see a renunciation. You say, what do you mean? If God told you to take your son or God told me to take my son, don't you think there'd be a little resistance there? The flesh always resists worship. Always. And as long as you listen to your flesh, you will never worship God. Never. You'll have to learn to embarrass your flesh sometimes to please God. The Bible said, and don't say it, but I know Abraham in his heart, he must have, I bet he didn't sleep a wink that night. Amen. I bet there was an inward struggle going on with his flesh and with his spirit that night. And there always is. Whenever, whenever your God gives you the revelation, whenever you go and you have a desire to worship God, the, the, the flesh is going to fight the spirit. Amen. Amen. If, if you give a testimony, finally you defeat the flesh and you stand up and give your testimony. When you get in the car, you'll probably turn to your husband and say, Does that sound all right? 
How'd that sound? What do you, you think about that? That's the flesh. And you see, really, 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 it don't matter. I know the human side, but really, it don't matter how it sounds to everybody here because you wouldn't talk to everybody here. You were testifying to God. And you know what? When you're really worshiping God and you're really in the spirit of it, I don't think you can say anything wrong. I think the Holy Ghost will make it presentable and I think God will accept it if your heart is the way it ought to be. You may not have all the theology. You might not have everything right. That's why some pastors years ago, they quit letting people testify in church service because they'd have young converts stand up and uh, sometimes they would be embarrassed by what they said because they didn't know. They hadn't grew. Uh, it took a while for them. Uh, and they'd be embarrassed of them. Well, I tell you, I believe God was embarrassed of those preachers uh, uh, because they was embarrassed uh, uh, to let somebody stand up. I don't know of any baby here that when they first got born they spoke perfect English. They got every word right, every syllable right, ever, ever, ever dot, ever T right. No, sir. They had to grow into that. And the Christian life's no different. You're going to stand up and say things. It may not come out right down here, but it's right up there. Amen. We just had altar prayer. In my home church that I come out of, We'd all come around, men, women, kids, everybody come around and pray to altar every service, not just every now and then, every service. And I remember one night a lady come in and she told the pastor on the way out, she said, I won't be back. And he said, why? And she said, I didn't like everybody coming up there praying at the same time. She said, I couldn't understand what anybody was saying. And the pastor, smart, wise wisdom of God he said well ma'am there's a reason for that they wasn't talking to you there is a renunciation see I've had people say well I'll tell you one thing I'll never shout in church I've heard people say I'll never act, act like that well you probably won't you probably won't because you're going to have to come to the place where there's a renunciation of what your flesh is telling you to do and what God might be wanting to hear out of you. Then, notice this. The Apostle Paul said, listen, for we, for we, us that saved, for we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit, not the flesh. In the Spirit. He says, And rejoice in Christ Jesus. We're not rejoicing because of of something else. We're rejoicing because of Christ Jesus. And here's here's the main thing here. Don't miss it. And have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. In other words, flesh says, don't do it. Flesh says don't go to the altar. Uh, flesh says don't, don't listen to that pull on your heart that the Spirit may be pulling on your heart. Don't do it. So we have no confidence in the flesh. We have to, we have to, we have to crucify the flesh. The Apostle Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, yet I live. Yet this life that I now live by faith in the Son of God 
He said, I'm crucified with Christ, but I now, but yet I live in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God that loved me and gave His self for me. Amen. There is the renunciation. Verse 5, there is a separation. The Bible said there, and Abraham said to the young man, Abide ye here. Abraham said, Me and the lads going to worship, but you stay here. You see, if we're going to worship God, we have to separate ourselves from some things if we're going to worship God. You say, What do you mean? Well, you can't worship God sitting there doing your checkbook. You can't worship God making out your work schedule for next week. Why? Because you're preoccupied with something else other than God. We come to church to worship God. That's what we come for is to worship God. And I'm persuaded that a large percentage of the time we come to church, we leave church, and we never worship God. Never worship God. We never get preoccupied with Him. I'm telling you, if, if you can just see Him on the old rugged cross just for a minute in the Spirit, if you can just see Him up out of the grave just for a minute, if you can just see God on that great white throne just for a minute, and get preoccupied with who God is and what God said, then we can worship God. Amen. You don't even have to be in church to worship God. I think I'd be safe in saying some of you probably worship God more in your car than you ever have in your church. You say, why? Ain't nobody in there but you and the Lord. You're not worried about what brother so-and-so says or what sister sister so-and-so going to say tomorrow about what you did. See? You've separated yourself from everybody else. Why did Abraham say that? Well, if Abraham had took them two men up to the top of the mountain with him and they saw him tie Isaac up and they saw him getting ready to kill Isaac, they probably would have stopped him. You see, that's what your flesh does. Your flesh if you take it up with you, it's going to stop you. It's going to stop you. Now God is worthy of praise. And then, watch this. Let me say this. Some of you, you've separated yourself tonight from what's kept some other people from worshiping tonight or even the possibility of it. You say, what's that? You've separated yourself from your television. you separated yourself from your Facebook or your a computer or whatever it might be done, you had to leave that back there. And you said, I'm going to church. Tonight, I'm going to worship God. You may not say, I'm going to worship God, but when you separated yourself, you put yourself away from some things. See, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, why do some people come and why do some people not even seem to be interested well, we know some people have situations at home. We understand that. It's easier for some people to go to church than it is others. I learned that the hard way after pastoring for about 10 years. And God had to take me to the 
closet about it because of my attitude. And after I found out the real story, and I won't go into all of it, but after I found out the real story, I went to the house one Sunday night and I went back out in my car and laid my head down on the steering wheel. And I said, God, I'm so sorry. I said, if that lady made it to church one time a month, she'd done more than the rest of us. Because it was so hard for her to get there. So hard for her to get there. But most people, you're here tonight because you want to be here. And there's other people, they got as good a car as you got. They got as good a bank account as you got. They're not working on Sundays. They're not going to work tonight. You know why they're not here? They don't want to be here. They don't want to be here. So you've separated yourself from some things that could have kept you there just like it kept them there. See, and then there's this thing here, Genesis 2 and verse 2. God said, now take thine whom thou lovest. There's a presentation. You see, when you come to worship God, you bring something. You remember what David said over there, and I think it's in the book of Samuel. Uh, David went over there to the threshing floor of Aruna, and David went there. David had uh, he had had uh, he had had his, his general to number his army. And David realized he had made a mistake the moment he done it. Have you ever done anything and realized the moment you done it, you made a mistake? Oh, I've done that many times. The moment I'd done it, it was too late, but the moment I'd done it, I knew God wasn't pleased with it. I knew God wasn't pleased with it. David was like that. And God said, okay, David, said, I'm going to give you three choices. You can pick which one you want. And David said, no, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to throw myself at the mercy of God. And then David went to the floor, of a, a room of the threshing floor, and he got there and and he told him what he was doing. And Arua said, you just pick anything you want. Just take anything you want. No price. It's free. I want to give it to you. And David made this great statement. Verse 24. And the king David said unto Arua, No, nay, but I will surely buy of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt sacrifices unto the Lord my God of that which doeth cost me nothing. If you don't bring God nothing, you don't worship nothing. Amen? Amen. You say, what do you mean? I don't mean money. I don't mean any of that. I mean you have to come with a, a spirit, a heart. God said, my son, give me thy heart. That's what God wants. God wants your attention. Have you ever talked to anybody? Probably me. Probably talked to me. You ever talk to anybody and while you're talking to them they got this distant look in their eyes and you suddenly realize they don't understand, they don't know a thing you said? That's the way we do God sometimes. Worship costs something. You say, what does it cost? It costs you. Cost you a uh, we get on here in a minute, it costs you about an hour and a half of your time. It costs you an hour and a half of TV time. It costs you uh, missing 
the hundredth time you've seen Andy Griffith. It costs you something. But you see, don't think, listen, we can't help where we're born at. I'm not going to be apologized for living in America. Uh, it's not my fault I wasn't born in Africa. It's not my fault I wasn't born in some of these third world countries. God put me here. Amen. And I realize my sacrifice is small concerning what they might have to sacrifice over there, but I believe that God looks at it as where He's placed you at. And if we come to God, and we bring something to the Lord. I believe God notices that. Amen. Amen. Let me get down here to the to the good part now tonight. And I want to talk about this. I want to talk about worship's delight. We talked about worship's delete, deletion. We talked about worship's demand. We talked about the definition of worship. But I want us to look here at worship's delight. The Bible tells us that Abraham and the lad, verse 5, they did go to worship. And it was when they got to the place that God told them to go is when the worship took place. But there was a delight there. First of all, there was a delight in God's own heart. It delighted God what Abraham had done. Abraham had trusted Him. I think it, this COVID thing's been crazy. But I think it delights God when we come to the place that we put away our fear and we're saying we're going to church. We're going back to the house of God. Amen. This was all, you know, none of us had ever experienced anything like this before. And it may have been mishandled and not handled right. But I think that there come a time when we realized and we said, we're going back to the house of God. Yeah. And our faith overrode our fear. And here we sit tonight. And I think that pleased God. I think it delighted God. Look at verse 12. And he said, Lay not, he said, wait a minute, he's going to offer Isaac. He's willing to do it. Did you know, if you'll get willing to do some things, most of you will never have to do it. God just wants to see if you're willing to do it. God didn't want Isaac. You've heard that song, God don't want you Isaac. God didn't want Isaac. God just wanted Abraham's obedience, Abraham's trust, Abraham's faith, Abraham's love. And the Bible said, He said, Lay not your hand upon the lad. Whoa, stop it. Don't hurt him. He said, Neither do thou. For now I know that thou fearest God. Seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, from me. One of the hardest things I ever did as a parent, because, you know, I had two little boys. And uh, I remember being down in my study years ago, when we lit the house we lived, and had a basement study. And I remember down there playing with Corey and Scotty down the floor. There's just little, all the other house was upstairs. And we'd been playing, laughing, rolling around there, and my wife hollered down the stairs. And, she said, boys, it's time for bed. I said, boys, your mother's called. You need to get up and go to bed. But I said, wait a minute. And I got one of them like this. And I said, boys, I got the other one like this. I said, son, I said, do you know if God would let me pick from any boy in the whole world 
I said, you know who I'd pick. They said, who, Daddy? I said, I'd want you boys. I'd want you boys. They went on upstairs, and I got up and sat down in my chair, and there was an old sword of the Lord paper laying there. And I began to think about, it was just seen days ago, I was their size, and I was rolling in the floor, and I was at my grandma's house and grandpa's house and mom and daddy's house. And now I sat as a 26, 7-year-old man. And it all it went by so fast. And I began to get down. I began, I said, Lord, what's it all about? You give us children and we love them with all our heart. And then we're taken away or they're taken away. God, what's it all about? And the Holy Spirit directed my eyes over to that sword of the Lord paper there laying there. And my eyes fell upon this verse of Scripture. It said there is a step between us and death, but God has devised means whereby His vanquish be not expelled. And the Holy Ghost spoke that to my heart and He said, Son, it ain't all over down here. He said, You raise them boys for the Lord. Them boys get saved. He said, You're going to be together forever. Amen! That helped me that night. I never forgot that. I think I, I think I worshiped God a little bit that night. Amen. God's delighted. God's delighted. Sometimes, sometimes, maybe not. Sometimes people look at other people that may be in the service doing something, and, and you're sniggering and laughing a little bit. But God's delighted about it. God's delighted about it. When Mary brought that very very pricely box of, of ornament and she brought it and she broke it at Jesus' feet. Yeah. And one of his own disciples said, What a waste. Why'd they do that? Listen, what people do, what I do, what you do in the act of worship, you don't have to explain to anybody but God. God God was delighted how many times we go to church on Sunday and we hope God will make us happy we hope the preacher will he'll do some good chair leading and get us all pumped up and primed up and we'll leave we'll be happy how many times if any have we ever went to church and on the way there, wondered if we're going to make God happy today. Amen. We're going to make God happy today. You see, God don't get excited about big crowds. God don't get excited about big buildings. God don't get excited about big offerings. God don't get excited about celebrities and big names. Yeah. God gets excited when one old sinner gets yeah. saved. And God gets excited when somebody really worships God. Delights the heart of God. Now listen here. Not only did it delight to God, but when Abraham worshipped, it was a deepened delight to Abraham. Abraham loved that boy when he went up the mountain. God said he did. 
said, Take your son, that only son whom thou lovest. God knew he loved that boy. But I want to tell you this. When he come down the mountain, he loved him more. <laughs> After he got up there and worshipped God, when he come down the mountain, he loved that boy more. You say why? Because he almost lost him. Even though he was willing to give, it, give him, even though he believed that God would raise him up, according to Hebrews 11, he come down. And he's delighted. Can I tell you that whenever your father leads you up to the mountain, whenever you spend a little time up there with his son, you may love him when you go up the mountain, but you love him a little more when you come back down. Can I tell you that every experience that we have with God Makes us love him a little more. Amen. I loved my wife when we got married. But you know what? We've been living together for going on 47 years. We took the kids to the hospital, worried, didn't know, you know, if they'd be okay. We've had nights that we had to set up because we didn't know maybe where one of them was. We took uh, her, her grandparents out and buried them. We took her parents out and buried them. We took my parents out and buried them. She helped me through mine. I helped her through hers. We've been through battles at church and up and down. But you know what? I love her more tonight than I did when we married. Yeah. Yeah. You say, why? We've spent more time together. We, we've been together more. Yeah. We've been through things together more. Yeah. Amen. And you see, it's that way with God. When you go through things with God, the more you go through with God, the more you love Him when you come out on the other side. Yeah. You can worship God. He loved it. I'll say this tonight and I'll be done. But when Abraham worshipped up there on the mountain, when Abraham worshipped up there on the mountain, when he went up the mountain, he had a heavy burden. Wouldn't you say so? Wouldn't you say that his heart was broke each step up the mountain? Wouldn't you say that he tossed and turned and walked the floor all night? Because he had a heavy burden. And he went up the mountain and he worshiped God. How many thinks when he come down the mountain his burden was lighter? You see, worship don't only help God, worship helps us. Worship not only delights God, worship deepens our love for God's Son and worship helps to lighten the burdens of this life when we go to the house of God and we worship God. How many times have I told you folks on a Wednesday night as we open up our Bible for a 30 minute Bible study and the Holy Spirit comes and we get into the Bible we're 
enjoying the teaching. God's showing us something. And at the end of 30 minutes, how many times have I as your pastor asked you this and said, for the last 30 minutes, you did not think about what's out there, what's coming tomorrow, because your mind stayed on the Word of God. And the Bible said, God said in Isaiah 26, 3, I will keep him at perfect peace. That's mine to stayed upon thee. Trust thee in the Lord Jehovah, for his strength is forever. Mine's not. God's is. Go to church. That's why the Lord said go to church during the week. You need an unloading place. You need somewhere to lay those heavy burdens down. You need something to get your mind off of your burdens and get your mind on your God. The Lord said in Isaiah 55, verse 22, He said, Cast your burden upon the Lord, and He will sustain you. You know why people's on dope and pills and all that? Somebody said, Brother Rick, what in the world do people do that don't have Jesus? I said, they do alcohol, they do drugs, they do pills, they do cigarettes. Because you've got to have something. But there ain't nothing no better than Jesus. Amen. Back to Revelations. Last time it's mentioned in the Bible. Worship God. Worship God. Father, I thank you tonight, Lord, for enlightening me.